0: All right, well, good morning, North Shore. Hey, I just got to tell you, right? Um, you were louder than the nine o'clock service. So, 11 o'clock, you can be proud of that. Good job in the big uh, welcoming. Dawn, thank you. You probably thought we're heading to kind of that cheerleader thing, right? Like, rah, rah, rah. We're going to get you excited one way or another, okay? But that's usually not a problem with 11 o'clock. So, good job. The nine o'clock. Love those guys, but whoo, that coffee is not working in the 9 o'clock, right? So we have to work a little harder. Something cool happened uh, during the 9 o'clock service. We had uh, one of our young people, uh, McAllister Watson. Some of you know her, some don't, but she's up on the prayer team a lot up here. She's uh, on the worship team, grew up in our youth ministry here. Well, she is a nursing student at Northwest University, and she's on a mission trip in remote Alaska, right? And so that whole team, during the 9 o'clock service, she texts her mom and says, Hey, could you pray for us? Because what they're doing is they're taking these little planes out to these just far outreaching places and doing nursing um, ministry there. I'm not sure what that would look like, so that was intense. But anyway, they gathered around a computer <clears throat> and watched the 9 o'clock service. So I got to pray with them and over them uh, through the Internet. So kind of this small world cool thing. So I loved it. Um, I do want to say happy Valentine's Day to all of you. All right, there. Um, now, like I say, guys, I'm hoping you are in good favor right now with your wives. Okay? But we know how Valentine's Day goes. Sometimes you have missed the mark, right? But you're going to be glad you're here. I'm going to talk about grace and forgiveness today. So I've got your back, okay? Right, it's, it's going to work out good for you. It's good. So we are going to be in the book of Philippians. So the ushers, if you need a Bible, shoot your hand up. They'll get a Bible to you. Uh, but let's just pray uh, before we just enter in God's Word, okay? We'll be in Philippians again, 1. Father God, we love you. You are good. We believe, we trust in your Word that it's powerful, and we want it to change us. So, Father, we open ourselves up the deepest places of our lives, and ask that your word would speak to us and transform us and change us into the likeness of Jesus. So, Father, be with us this morning. Have your way. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, we are in Philippians. Um, and the series we called is Real Joy. And it's just because Paul, in a beautiful way, just screams joy all throughout this book as he's writing this letter to the Christians in Philippi. And don't you want to be part of a church that is full of joy, that has real joy? Well, Paul's going to teach us today to have a church that has real joy. You're going to have to be a different kind of community. Let's look at chapter 1, and just, he starts speaking into what that community looks like. So embedded in some of the teachings here, he talks about this different kind of community. So I'm going to read starting in uh, verse 27 in chapter 1, and I want you to listen for him describe this different kind of community. Verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, That salvation is from God. It keeps going in chapter 2 here. Continue to listen to him describe this community, this different kind of community. Verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what's Paul calling them into? When you look at this, he is calling them into this different kind of community. He's calling them into unity. You just see it just jumps off the pages about this unity. And it's powerful what happens when a church unifies. I've had different experiences where I've seen churches really come together. One powerful experience I had of witnessing this was down in New Orleans in 2005. Some of you remember Hurricane Katrina uh, hit landfall, a direct shot on New Orleans and devastated the city, took out whole neighborhoods with 14, 15 feet of water. And we went down there to be part of that and help. So I took a team down there, we went down there And we found this little church that allowed us to stay in their Christian Ed building, which was just a a little house they had. They opened it up and let people start sleeping there, right, that were serving. And we got to hear their story. And their story was this. This little old guy was leading us, told us that right after the hurricane, there was chaos and destruction everywhere. And so they gathered in the church and said, what do we do? He was saying them, man, there was fighting, everybody had different ideas, and it was just kind of you know tense. And he says, I stood up and I said, Well, I have a rake, and I have a shovel. Because the work that had to be done is these houses, as the water receded, uh, needed to be mucked out, we call them. Because, you know, they're 14 feet of water in their homes. And someone else said, Well, I've got a rake, I've got a shovel, I've got a broom. And also, in this community started coming together, this little dinky church, right? And they unified, and they went out and started serving their community. Well, that got out to different places. I was in Washington State. This was in Louisiana, and I heard about them. And so I said, hey, can I sign up for that? Yeah, sign up for that. What spot? It took me four months to find a place where this house is available because people from all over the world were coming to serve there. It had an incredible impact. It was changing this devastated community because of their unity. And it's interesting, as we were there and we'd drive out to our job sites, we'd drive by the federal government's efforts. And FEMA, right, they had these trailers and all this equipment in these lots locked up doing nothing. Because there was so much chaos They were not unified, and they were doing nothing, but they had millions of millions of dollars behind them, and they were locked behind fences. And there we were with this little old guy. What was his name? you guys remember that little old guy? I wish I could remember his name. I want to give it to you. Let's call him Joe, Joe. Um, But it was something like that Um, uh, because he had a rake. He had a shovel, and other people had a rake, had a shovel. They came together and unified and did an amazing international work, right? It's powerful. You've seen churches come together, right? Think of a church that you saw come together and the power that they had, the, the impact that they had on the community of the world. It's impressive. What unified them? Joe uh, would tell us later that in that meeting, he asks this, well, let's just go be Jesus to our community. Let's stop fighting and figuring all this stuff out. Let's just be Jesus. Let's take the gospel to our community. And that's what Paul says as he defines this community in chapters 1 and 2. He says, yeah, I want you to have the same heart and the same mind as Jesus Christ so the power of Jesus' gospel will transform and change the world. And when a community does that, it's called a gospel-centered community. There's a new lens. Everything you do, every encounter you have is seen through the lens of the impact of the gospel in your life and the impact of the gospel in their life and on the world around you. And it changes how you interact with people. A church that is a gospel-centered community, every decision Where's the gospel in here? Where's the power of Jesus? What's he want to do in me and through me? Every fight you get in, every conflict, where's the gospel? What's the gospel say about this? Every celebration, every movement within the church that's gospel-centered asks the question, where's the gospel in this? And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to be unified in it. And God's going to do a powerful work. So what Paul does in verse 12, chapter 2, and that's where we're going to study, he starts stepping in and says, okay, as I speak to this community, the Philippians, I want to start narrowing this down to the individuals. What is your role in creating a gospel community? So let's look at that together. Verse 12, chapter 2. It reads, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul starts this interesting section because he's going to challenge them. Here's what you do. You do your work. Do your work. But he starts off with encouragement. So as you read this, this isn't one of those finger-shaking things. Paul's actually encouraging, man, you guys have been about this. You've been obeying when I was with you. But I need to tell you this. You've got to keep doing this much more now that I'm absent. And I think he's saying this for this reason. Because we often talk about Paul in his Roman imprisonment, because he's in prison in Rome. He's actually... uh, cuffed, if you would, to a guard, a Roman guard. And we often talk about all that those Roman guards heard Paul talk about. In fact, you're going to learn later in this book that through those conversations and things they have observed in Paul, that they came to know Jesus. And I can say a lot about this, but I won't stop. Uh, No rabbit trails, okay? Um, Is this. But ask this, what do you think Paul heard them talking about? Three years removed from the writing of this letter, Christians would enter into the greatest persecution Christendom has ever known under Roman leader Nero, who was in power when Paul wrote this letter. So what was Paul here hearing them talk about? What was he observing as things started heating up, heating up, pressure's going, and he writes the letter and say, I've got to tell you, you've got to be about this much, much more because it is going to get tough. So be ready. Do this. So what is the this that Paul is talking about? It's work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that is a very controversial verse. There's so much fighting. Whole denominations and uh, theological thoughts come out of this. Okay? And you're probably figuring this out for me. I'm a reduction. I think our Gospels will be made to understand and not confuse, right? So what is Paul talking about that there? So we have to start with this. What is Paul not saying, okay? What he's not saying is that you have to work out your salvation. You have to earn your way to heaven, that you've got to do enough good works so that you could be saved. So he's not saying, hey, join the do-gooders club, and then you're going to get saved. He's not saying that because in verse 13, he says it is God who works in you. Salvation is from God and God alone. Ephesians 2 says it comes from grace and faith alone so that no person would boast. It is a gift from God, and you can't be good enough or bad enough to affect it. Right? amen. That's good news for me, I tell you that. Um, it's good news for all of us. It's the gospel. Why does God give us this gift, this powerful gift? Because it says for his good pleasure. That's why he works and wills in us. He loves us. And he does this. You guys know this phrase. He doesn't just love us. He likes us. That's a marriage term. I love you, but I just don't like you right now, right? So we're going to go this direction, right? Um, but he likes us and wants to be with us. He wants us to be unified with him in a relationship. So what we are to do, it says, is to respond with fear and trembling. Well, that doesn't sound fun, right? And fear and trembling is a New Testament phrase. <laughs> Better understood for us is to respect and to revere the power of God. Now, would that provoke just an awe standing before him? Like, wow, you're powerful. You're a just God. Yes. But in that justice, in that power, he holds life and death in his hand. He's a good God. He's a kind God. And those aren't separate. So you say, wow, you're that powerful, you're that good, and you're that kind. I step into that with respect and reverence. Right? That's our job is to respond. So, what response is Paul talking about here in working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Here's what he's saying He says, Get the most out of this gift that I've given you. There are a lot of different elements to this salvation, a lot of blessings in it. In fact, It's endless. Everything comes under the benefits of salvation for us. So I could talk about anything today because it would fit and fit into context. But Paul here, I believe, is talking about something different. He's saying, I want you to work out this salvation uh, and the elements in unity. So we look at working out this salvation, getting all that he has for us from it. I, I, I thought of this thing. it's a cell phone? Something. I popped it up the first service, and something come in, come up. Oh, they say there it goes. Here's my world. So here's the deal. This salvation. Okay. I did nothing to design this. Nothing. I barely really know how it works. Right. Just so you know. Okay. I can work it, but why it does what it does, have no idea. I still haven't figured out how a telephone really works, right? How does it get my voice sounding like me over there? I don't know. Some of you probably know. I have no clue, okay? But the point is this phone that was issued to me, I didn't pay for it. I didn't design it. I did nothing. But, boy, is this thing powerful, right? Of course, I can make a phone call and say, hello, how are you doing? Every day, multiple days, this young lady right here will video. This is my daughter, oldest daughter, Sydney, um, she calls her mother or me or anyone else that will is there and video chats. Every morning I get to ride to school with my grandkids through this baby, right? It's not just a phone. You know, it puts grandma and grandpa in the car driving to school and hearing all that great conversation talk, you know, that beautiful moment. The other day I was hanging a picture and I was trying to get it level. Boop, boop, went to an app. It's a level, put it up on the wall, leveled my picture with this thing. Ah, pretty impressive. Last year, some article came out and talked about the big one happening off the coast, right? And you had to be, if I remember right, 300 feet in elevation, and you're going to be okay. I'm sitting at North Shore in my office like, do, do, do. What's my elevation? Woo, 15 feet, I'm good. I have lakefront property, but I'm I'm going to be good here, Okay, It's good. Where I really saw the, the power of this little thing was last year I was traveling, and you guys know me. I like to talk a lot, and so, um, so I took an Uber to the airport, and I wanted to talk to the person, so I jump in the back seat, and uh, this lady's driving, and she liked to talk. There was one problem. She didn't speak English a little bit. She spoke Spanish, and I speak kind of a Scott version of English, whatever that is, right? So, um, so we're like, oh, man, it's a long trip. But we both want to talk and just, so all of a sudden she grabs her phone, opens up something called Google Translate, right? Holds up, in Florida, there must not be cell phone laws like Washington because she's just holding this thing up. Um, I kind of wish she would actually have both hands and wheels. But she's spoken to this thing in Spanish and it kicks out English to me. Did she push the button? I speak English to it. It speaks Spanish to her. So for a half hour we're talking about our families and what I'm doing there. I even mention Jesus, it translates that pretty good uh, as she holds the phone. This thing has a lot to it, and that's what Paul's talking about here, is we have to work out our salvation. We have to live out everything that our salvation has for us, not earn it. Work it out because it's sitting there waiting for us and it's powerful. So what's Paul talking about here? What is the work that he is talking about? And I think as we look at our salvation, we have to understand the context which Paul is speaking to in this text right now. I'm going to tell you, if you're kind of a commentary person, you're going to read it. I found not one commentary that had the same agreement of what they did with this. And I'm reading this that hey, It seems obvious to me. Maybe it's not. You can come talk to me after the service. Here's what I believe. The context of this is Paul talking about unity in this community of being in the one mind and and what that looks like, to be unified as a gospel-centered community. And so in unity, what are the elements that our salvation, that God uses, that Jesus uses to bring unity to him? And he wants us to take those elements and work those out in our lives so that we can have unity with other people. That's what I believe this text is saying, okay? And so with salvation, what are those things that bring unity to Jesus? He uses grace to bring unity for us to him. He brings forgiveness. He brings acceptance. And ultimately brings love and that brings us as a unified relationship with Jesus Christ and then what he asks us is to work that out to be a different kind of community to be a gospel centered community and give that away to other people so grace unmerited favor what we deserved scriptures tell us is death what does Jesus do he gives us unmerited favor, and not give us what we deserve, he gives his very life for us. This should cost you your life? No, here's my life for you. For us to understand, giving grace out is this. People are tough, just so you know. If there are no people, you'd have no problems, right? (laughs) It really is. Most of your issues keep you up at night, make you mad, all that. Guess what? It's another human. Could be a little one, it's a big one, usually a guy, right? Whatever, right? Makes you mad. They're not like you. And what grace does is it allows people to be human. Because while you were human, Christ died for you. Jesus came to this earth while Scott Harris was a dirty, rotten sinner. Right? Right? Didn't wait for me to be like him and Christ likeness and all that. No, while I was grungy and messy, Christ came, and He asked us to give grace. People are different; they don't think like you. They don't have the same opinions. They like different colors. Blah 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 blah. Give them grace. Give them space to be human. That's what Jesus did. But He takes a step further. He says, "I'm not just going to give them space to be human." and give them this unmerited favor, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to do something. I'm going to shed my blood so that the penalty that they have over them is removed. And we're forgiven of our sins. This clean slate. There is no barrier between us and God because Jesus worked on the cross for us. He says, I want you to do the same. As you've received that, the gospel says, you do the same to other people. You forgive them. I'm going to guarantee you, and you're probably sitting here right in here, someone's offended you. Someone hasn't measured up, right? And what the gospel says is break the barrier down with forgiveness. Break the barrier down without being offended. Boy, you've hurt me. You've hurt me. You are wrong. Well, what does the gospel call me to do is to forgive you. No barrier between you and me, right? Man, what you said about me, I was just wrong. What the gospel requires me to do, no barriers. Because we are traitors to Jesus. But he says, I forgive you anyway. One of the most powerful words ever spoken on this earth. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do as he hung on a cross. Right? Do the same. Do the same. That's forgiveness. That's gospel living. That's gospel-centered community. But Jesus, Jesus takes it a step further. He says, I accept you. I invite you in to an intimate relationship with me. Come with me now and for eternity. And I will walk with you. I will love you. I am with you. You who at one point deserved death, now you have full life. And that life to abundance, into eternity. Right? And he says, church, people, Christian, you accept people. Don't just give them grace. Don't just give them forgiveness. Invite them in to be family. Family to be family and they're still going to make you mad. You know, this is one of those looping exercises, right? Let's go back back to start, okay? Oh yeah, I start with grace, start with forgiveness, I accept you, your family. Because when you do that, you build unity and community. And we become a gospel centered community that God will use for great impact. And it's all motivated by love. It's all motivated God loves us. He's crazy about us. And he wants you to love others and be crazy about them. And then we can be that gospel-centered community. But there's something else. I left a word out, so some of you following along are mad at me right now, but hopefully you'll understand why. Okay? It says not just work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. It says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because here's, I think, what he's getting at. He's really making it personal, right? Zeroing in on the individual. Because here's what my experience tells me. That one of the hardest people it is to exercise this grace, this forgiveness, and this acceptance into and Receive God's love. The hardest person is yourself. Hardest person is to allow God, you can't forgive yourself, only God forgives, has the power to. But we can't let him because he says, you know, God, you know my thoughts. I'm not worthy. You know what I did, Father? I I I no, I, I get it. I understand that you've given me grace and forgiveness, and I kind of accept that. But in a sense, not really. I have shame. I have guilt. And those are the evidences that you haven't allowed this work of salvation to truly, totally, fully overtake your life. God, you don't know what I've done. Man, how can I be in there? I'm not as perfect as the person in the row in front of me at church. Look at them. Guess what? God loves you. Not your Sunday look, but the real you. The real you. And what he wants you to do is allow grace and forgiveness and acceptance because he loves you for you to allow that to work in your life fully. Because when we fully allow that to work in our lives, then we fully reflect that. I can love you better if I allow God to love me fully. If it's only ha- half tank, you're only going to get the best of half tank. Because I'm thinking, no, no, if you've done this like I did or some version of that, you're going to have to deal with guilt and shame. And God says that is words of the enemy, not freedom of Jesus Christ. It's not gospel talk. So we have to work out our own salvation, allow those things in our lives to fully reflect what God gives us. And when we do that, it's awesome. We become a gospel-centered community. A different kind of community because no one is living like that. And it's amazing what that community can do. It's cool. So what happens when we do that? Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So he starts off, do this without grumbling and complaining. I think what he's saying is he's talking about this community and this path to great unity and gospel-centered community. And the the work you have to do is, it's not going to be easy. This is not easy. I know for me, I'm selfish. I know what I like. I'm kind of even a little lazy. That's a lot of work. It's too hard. He says, hey, have the right heart. Have the right attitude. Okay? So make sure you overcome that. And understand it's going to be quote-unquote work, something you have to labor for. And then also understand this, you're not going to see this around you. You walk outside these walls and look around this world, guess what? They are not gospel living. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Get yours now while you can and step on whoever you have to to get there. That's not our gospel, but it's the value of the world that we are in. He says, so you're not going to see this around you anywhere. So know this, it would be tough, but I'm calling you to be different, to be different than the world around you. 2 Corinthians uh, 6.14 says, come out and be separate from them. So we are called to be separate, not like the world, to be different, a different kind of community, a different kind of person. Now, what he's not saying there is to remove yourself from what we call the world. Because you see, catch it in Scripture, he says that you are in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. In the midst, you're with them. You're to shine your light where? In the world. Not outside, you know, with this thing over here. and Say, I'm over here. Come find me. No, right in the thick of it, you're called to be. But he says, you're not called to run from it physically. You're called to rise up within it and shine like a light. Shine your light in this world. Some of your translation, and I really like this, is to shine like stars in the universe. Right? Um, and, I, and I love that because, see, what they used light for in stars was for navigation. They didn't have GPS like us. They didn't have these cell phone things, right? So that's how they had to get around. If you didn't know really where you're going, you use the stars to navigate you. And we are called to be those navigation lights for this world because they are crooked and twisted, meaning they're trying to find hope. They're trying to find meaning and purpose. All kinds of twisted and crooked ways are all over. It's a mess. It's chaos out there. He says, you need to be a navigating light for this lost world. They desperately need you. We're going to do that if we are working out our salvation and we are shining grace, forgiveness, acceptance because of love and saying, yes, this is the path. Because we become like lighthouses. I, I love light. Lighthouses are the coolest thing. There's a cool picture. I don't know if this thing comes up. Check that out. Is that awesome? Boom, right, look at that thing. Imagine the, the person in there, right? Uh, but look how strong. Do you worry about that lighthouse? No, you, you kind of know it, it's strong, man. It's not even leaning. Bam, the power of that water is nailing it, and it's strong, it's steady, and it's doing what its job is. And its job is this: it's to say, hey, do not go this way. There is great harm and danger for you. Don't do this. But there's a harbor over here. Go to that. It's a safe harbor. It's secure, and it's just waiting for you. For us, it's, hey, don't go this way. Go this way to Jesus because he is waiting for you. He loves you. He's ready to take you in with his arms and protect you from the waves and the storm and the crooked and twisted world that is out there. Because you guys know what I know. This world's not getting any better. I'm just getting aged enough. I'm thinking, wow, this wasn't this hard when I was a kid. This is tough. Some of your older me say, man, I can't believe the mess we're in. When I go back to my childhood and I look at the mess, being a grandparent, you grandparents know what I know, it is scary. Because I look at the decay of the culture around me in my lifespan, okay, and I'm like, wow. Extend that to my grandkids. What are they going to be living in? It actually kind of scares me. But, oh, it's gone. But there's going to be lighthouses for them. I'm hoping I'm going to be one of them, right? I'm hoping you're going to be one of them. Strong and steady, shining your light in this world, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation saying, not here, there's Jesus. And that's what a gospel-centered community does. That's what we get to do if we work out our salvation. He drops kind of a good little encouragement here. Well, oh hold on. I just, not sure what I did. Oh, there it is. Whew, um, technology. Is he drops this thing. He gives them a little identity tag. He says, because you're children of God. You're God's children. You're children of God. Because here's this, when we go out there, And we have to be in the midst and in the world. What's important is to understand who we are and who we're not. And to understand whose we are. We belong to Jesus. We're on mission. We are not from this world. We do not identify with all that craziness. We identify with whom we're shining the light for and toward. Right? Something that Sandy and I did for our girls. um, You know, and, and raising them. I felt like my job was not to produce a perfect child because I don't think that exists. You know, your child is perfect, right? But everyone else's isn't, right? Um, it, it's to produce an equipped child, ready. And that means you've got to send him out into this storm that you know is there, and it's scary. If you're a father of daughters, it's really scary, right? Um, and so we just tell the girls, as you go out there, remember this. What do Harrises do? Who are we? And try to remember that as you navigate this complex, crazy world that's just nuts and all the pressures and temptations and those things, hold on to who you are. And obviously for us, the first thing was we're followers of Jesus. It's who we are. It's what we do. And it's something, um, again, that both of them love Jesus. Uh, they serve the Lord now. And ultimately something that God held on, and they held on too. So it's powerful knowing who you are gives you strength to be a shining light. So we continue as, how do we be a shining light? How do we work this salvation out? Verse 16, he's gonna tell us to trust God's word. It says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's going to tell us, how do you? we be shining lights. How do we do this? And what do we get? What's the results of that? He starts off with this phrase, holding fast to the word of life. Let's break that down. What is the word of life? The word of life is the person of Jesus Christ and the teachings of Jesus Christ. John 1 and John 14 says, Jesus is the word, and the word is life. John 6, 63 says, this is Jesus speaking, the words I've spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. So it is the ministry, the life of Jesus, and that which he taught us, which we find in the collection of something we call our scriptures, God's word. So how do we do this? How do we be a shining light, a, a lighthouse there and work out our salvation and figure out how to give grace, how to forgive, how to accept, and how to love people properly? We do it through the word of God. Holding fast. holding fast is something that you grab and you hold tighter to something that you already have a hold of so he's encouraging them hold fast hold tight because here it comes it's coming hold tight to it two hands I would say if I could use two hands I can not hold tight to it one of the members of our teaching team Peggy Gray kind of put me on to this cool she says Scott you know what a hold fast is and I didn't what That was a thing you did. So, no, no, it's a a noun. It's a hold fast. It's the root system of kelp. So, that's the root system of kelp. That is a hold fast, okay? And what a hold fast does is all those pieces and parts, all those elements of that root system, hold it secure to the ocean floor. So, whatever difficulties, whatever thing it has to withstand, the storms, the wave action, sea life, humans, whatever, It can hold strong. So that is holding fast, holding strong and having deep roots that come from the word of life so that you could be a shining light in a generation that is crooked and twisted as you work out your salvation, right, and be a gospel-centered community. So the teaching Paul there is he's teaching us to trust the word of God, to trust the word of God, And understanding trust, trust comes from doing, not just knowing. James 1.22 says this, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Because what happens here, the power in God's word is not the knowledge that they exist. What's the power in? It's allowing that word to do a work in my life. I hear something all the time, a whole career. I love meat teaching. I love meat preaching, right? You know what they mean? Historical background, generally. I love historical background. I like theological phraseology. Oh, that's good. I love the original language, Greek, Hebrew. And boy, it's real meat if Aramaic comes in there, right? Powerful. Do you think Jesus calls that meat? No, he doesn't. Now, are those important? Don't get me wrong before I go to this point. They are important because they give you a foundation and confidence in what meat really is. You with me? So it's important. So I don't want to belittle that, but I want to change what North Shore calls meat, what every Christian calls meat. Because what Jesus is going to do when you get up to those pearly gates, but when you get to judgment, he's not going to give you a Bible quiz. Right? What's he going to say? What have you done in my name? What is my life, my ministry, my words done to change your life? Do you look like me at all? Because if we're looking at biblical information, I tell you what, when the scriptures were written, uh, New Testament times, those kids knew the first five books of the Old Testament by heart. I'm way too lazy. I'm never going to know that, just so you know. It's not going to happen, right? Um, so it's never about knowledge. And Jesus came and interrupted that culture and says, you're missing it. You're missing it. So what, what is meat? Meat is trusting the word of life, God's word, and taking action on it, living it out. Because that changes and transforms you. And if you do that, you will be a gospel-centered person. And we, if we do that, will be a gospel-centered community where the word of God, the word of life, actually just jumps out of our lives. People will not be able to miss Jesus when they encounter someone living out the word of God. Right? Not just saying here's a tidbit, here's a tidbit, I know this, I understand Jewish culture. Again, good stuff, but it's not what the gospel is really founded on. It's on changing people's lives to become like Jesus, because that's where salvation is, right? Is God doing his great work in our lives and melting the hearts of stone. So Romans 12, I'm going to read lengthy scripture, but it talks about and you're gonna see this, and what really is it? Just to soak in. It talks about when our minds are transformed by this powerful word of life. It starts talking and describing the community, and you're gonna see this gospel-centered community and what that looks like. And hopefully, we strive to be that. So just listen in on this. It's Romans 12. Uh, I'm gonna start in verse two, and uh, how far am I going down? I'm going a little ways here, down to 21. Okay. Let's start off. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then lead. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I love this, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice but overcome evil with good. Powerful community. This is the community, right, that trusts God's word and actually lives it out. They become a shining light where they work out their salvation of giving grace, giving forgiveness, giving acceptance, giving the love that God has given them to the world around them. And I love this. Paul finishes his off. And I've got this scene with Paul. Kick back, his feet up. It's judgment day, right? He's run the race, finish line. And he says, wow, I'm proud of you. Look what you've done. This is awesome. Even if it's cost me and I had to pour myself out along with you. Wow. Look at the impact you've had. Every tongue is confessing. Every knee is bowing. There is a new kingdom because you've partnered with me and you are a gospel centered community. Look what I did, Jesus speaking, through you as you worked your salvation out for the sake of unity. I think Paul's thinking, yeah, this is awesome. He says, I am glad, it means I am satisfied. I am good in my heart. And I rejoice. I have joy. But North Shore, good news for us, he keeps going a little bit further, and he says, so will you be glad, and so will you rejoice. Because I tell you what, I know what will bring smiles to everyone of your face. It's a day when you look across the sanctuary, and there's a person, boy, they were a drug addict. Their life was miserable. They were near death. And then I worked out my salvation. And now they're here serving the Lord. Their family's healthy. They're stable in Jesus and worshiping him. Because I was a gospel-centered community. We were a gospel-centered community. And when that starts happening, you will have deep joy. Because what happens is, and I believe this to be true of us all, we want to be part of a community that makes a difference for Jesus. We believe That the only hope for all of humanity is Jesus. Amen? Come on, give me witness here. We believe that, right? And when we see that working because we are being lights into this world, your heart will be glad. You'll be proud to be part of a community versus embarrassed because we're fighting with each other about this thing and that thing. We won't give grace. We don't give forgiveness. We don't accept one another. We're divided, which breaks God's heart because what he wants us is to be that lighthouse, be that community. That's what Paul's talking about here. So how do we respond? How do we respond? You notice we haven't taken communion yet. I think the right response as the ushers prepare communion. Let's go back to the pivot point of this gospel, and that's the cross. Let's go there. It's where it always starts. That's where we get to come to Jesus, and we get to allow and accept this grace that he talked about, this forgiveness, this acceptance. Because as I shared earlier, that grace given, he did not give us what we deserved. I was a traitor against Jesus, and I was a sinner. He says, you deserve death, Scott, but no, I'm going to give you life, my life. That's what this bread is. It represents the body of Jesus that was given for you. He says, I want you to accept this gift, because you don't feel it, but your life is worth that much. Where God would come to earth, walk this earth, and go to a cross for you. There's not a greater love story than that. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves the ugly you. He says, I'm going to take the penalty of that sin. This cup, it represents the blood of Jesus. It's a new covenant. It's a new day that we live in. He says, all that guilt, all that shame, all that penalty, and the price that sin causes, you're free, my friends. You're free, you're free, you're free. Don't listen to the language of the enemy. Listen to the cry of God through the blood of Jesus that you're free. And that's what that cup is. And he says, now, enter into an intimate, deep, trusting relationship with me walk with me with fear and trembling with respect and awe this god loves us and say yes to it so i want to challenge you as we step into the lord's supper the first thing you've got to do is you've got to fully accept that so that tap on the shoulder you've been getting from years like you've did this Oh, that feeling of shame that comes up when your memory reminds you of what you've done, the thoughts, the mistakes you've made. Say, no, God, that ends today. That ends right now. I'm going to fully trust your grace and your forgiveness. So in faith, say, God, I want to give this fully to you. I don't want to live in that anymore. I want to live fully in the gospel and the freedom of that, so that I can fully reflect that out. And if your person says, hey, I'm there, I am free by this gospel, then you ask yourself as you examine yourself, am I fully reflecting that? Am I a gospel-centered person? Because if we, each of us, become gospel-centered people, and everything is through the lens of the gospel, Then we'll be a gospel-centered church that God calls us to. And this church will leave a beautiful mark on this city and in this world. And that's what God calls us to. So let's examine ourselves. Josh is going to play here. Um, and I if you have never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, because that's what really starts. Are you saying, I've never done that. I've just been going to church or I just showed up here today. Someone invited me. I want to challenge you to say, I want to say yes by faith and accept the free gift of salvation that God provides through the work of Jesus on the cross and saying, I need that. I can't get there by myself. Jesus, I say yes to you. You pray that prayer in faith and invite him into your heart and your life. And the only thing I ask, don't have to do this. Um, I'd love for you to come tap me in the shoulder and say, Scott, I prayed that prayer because I want to celebrate with you. You don't have to do that. That's not conditioned. That's a selfish ask, right? Because I want to celebrate with you. Because it says all heaven rejoices when one person, repents from sin, changes from that. So I want to celebrate with heaven. I love you, North Shore, and I know what God is doing here. And he's going to make us a gospel-centered church. And it's going to bring you, me, and most importantly, him, great joy. Let's take some moments just to consider this powerful gospel message that is represented in the Lord's Supper of the Community.